This is Pod Request, live from the heart of Brooklyn. Pod Request is an hour-long podcast about everything in and relating to technology. With three techno experts, Eric Newman, hi, Chris Grabowski, hello, and Brendan Byrne, hi. our special guest. Hello. This week's episode... Life, the universe, and everything. Hello, everybody. Welcome to yet another Pull Request. My name is Eric Newman, and to the left of me is the person who's been left to me for now 40 weeks, 41 <laughs> weeks, the wonderful Chris Krabowski. Hi. Aw, thank you. I know. I know. I've, I, I would say I've missed you, but I see you so much that I really <laughs> don't get the chance to miss you. I want to miss yeah, you, Chris. I'm probably, this, I'm probably actually who you see the most out of anybody. Well, I, I do have a girlfriend. Uh, I know, I think but I, might... I, I was doing the math just there, and I think uh, it's close, but I might actually have her beat. Uh, especially since you and I saw Star Wars on Thursday instead of her, but we'll talk about that in a second, because to your left is our special guest, our space reporter, if I may call you that, returning from Orlando, Brendan Byrne. Hi! Hey, thanks for having me back. It's uh, it's our pleasure. We we had you here uh, six months ago for episode number 16, I think, and now... We're almost three times that. We're at number 42, and because it's number 42, life, the universe, everything, we have to have you on and to talk about space again. And all oh, the cool Always stuff. happy to talk space. Wonderful. Well, uh, indulge us in some technology. A lot of stuff's been going on this week. Um, uh, have you heard of the uh, giant net neutrality verdict that happened on Wednesday that... Sending people into a tizzy? I think you'd have to be under a rock if you've not heard about that. Exactly. And it's so it's so funny because I'll, we'll get to this more later, but it, it's, it's, it's the same argument people are having, whether it's net neutrality or whether it's any sort of regulation. And I don't understand why there's never any nuance about the reality of the situation as it actually happens when people in America actually use the internet with the one or two choices that they have in most municipalities. But I digress. Because much more urgent than net neutrality is the fact that AIM went away on the 15th. That was uh, Friday? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's really sad. Oh. You know... <laughs> I don't know where our studio audience is, Christian. Where are they? I, I don't know, actually. You, you, you uh, misplaced the Tupperware container? I think, I think, I, you know, hold on. It's... Um, I got it. Here it is. Um, okay. All right. Here we go. Anyway, what I was saying was, it's a real shame because AIM ended service on December 15th. What happened? <laughs> I'm blowing it tonight. Uh... <laughs> Hey, how, how else will I talk to all of my middle school friends? Exactly. Exactly. You know, I, it's really sad, uh, but it is a sign of the times because nobody uses AIM anymore. When was the last time you used AOL Instant Messenger, Christian? Probably, and this is pushing it, 2008. Wonderful. How about you, Brendan? I was trying to think back. I, I think it was like right at the start of college for me. It was like 2005. And then that was it. Yeah, I, I agree. I think the last time I used AIM was like in 2006 or 2007. I remember that the last version I used was called Triton. 
And I remember that because when I was in high school, my senior project was actually to write an instant messaging service in Java. Well, that's what I chose to do. And it worked. And I called it Triton. Fast forward six months, I find out that AOL stole my instant messenger. Wait, what, is, uh, what does Triton actually mean? Because uh, that's... Who's Ariel's of... father. In, Wait, what uh, is it? Ariel's father in, in The Little Mermaid. Oh, okay. Because it's... Um... It's the moon of uh, Neptune. The, thank the you. Company. Thank you, Brendan. That's a real answer. <laughs> the company uh, Joyent, uh, their uh, latest platform is called Triton. Ah, and what do they do? They do uh, hosting. Cool. Well, moving on. Uh, have you seen Starbucks? We haven't been to Argentina. Have you been to Argentina, either of you? Nope. I have not, no. Well, if you go to Argentina, you'll be quite sad to find out that Starbucks still exists. But in, in, in the Starbucks in Buenos Aires, uh, connecting to their Wi-Fi will force a 10-second delay while it mines Bitcoin on your computer. Hmm. Nice. Someone uh, viewed the source on the captive portal. That's the page that the router sends you when you try to join the Wi-Fi network but can't connect to the Internet yet. And they saw it including CoinHive, which is the same JavaScript-based Bitcoin miner that uh, I think the Pirate Bay used. Nice. And that's it. So where does that money go? Do you think they're just pocketing that? Yeah, it's probably some employee who put it on there that the rest of them don't even know what it is. Yeah. You know, it's only, I mean, the 10-second delay is what's going to kill them. If they did, like, a 5-second delay, no one would notice. So, it's slow. It's slow. It's fine. It's fine. So, uh, the guy said, feels a little off-brand. Yeah, exactly. Um, It's interesting. Maybe I should do that. Can we do that? Can we put out, like, a Wi-Fi network, like, out of our apartments, let people use it, and then it mines Bitcoin on their computer? Yeah. But why don't, why don't, the only thing that's actually doing the mining, though, is the web page to sign in. I thought it was client-based. That was the point of CoinHive. Yeah, so when they go to the... Like, you know when you go to a public uh, access point, and they're like, yes. oh, uh, provide your email to uh, be allowed internet. Right. It's that. I know. So I'm saying it's the captive portal. But yeah. it's, not the, it's not the web server that's doing the mining. It's not the router that's doing the mining. It's your computer, the client. Yes, but only for the period of time until they sign into the Wi-Fi. Right, but 10 seconds across as many customers as Starbucks has. Anyway, we're, lo- we're losing time on this. Um, what else happened this week? Oh, yeah, there was something really sad. We'll get to that in a minute. But, uh, you know, we did, Christian, we did see Star Wars for free. Yes, I saw it twice for free. You saw it twice for free? There you go. You get another woohoo. <laughs> That's, uh, that's right. Brought to you by Akamai, your leading content provider. No. Actually, your leading my- content delivery network for your web services. Akamai uh-huh. gave us free uh-huh. tickets. Uh-huh. Unless you're working at Christian's company. Uh, <laughs> uh, Akamai gave us free tickets to see Star Wars, The Last Jedi, in a theater that looked like it was older than we are. <laughs> and uh, did you like it? Uh, the way I've been putting it is it's not the best Star Wars, but it was enjoyable. I don't think any Star Wars made this century could be the best Star Wars. Brendan, what do you think? I have not seen it yet. Um, oh, well, yeah, we spoil I know. It for you. I know. It's, it's pretty terrible that I'm like the worst space reporter in the world. <laughs> like, oh, that's right. You <laughs> know, I haven't seen all of the Star Trek ever. Um, <laughs> you just care Star about Wars. the real stuff. Yeah, I, I did. I did find out um, last week that um, NASA did confirm that the astronauts on the International Space Station. We'll be able to see the Last Jedi. <laughs> yeah. Yep. 
That's pretty cool. So well, that's pretty cool. We're chasing down details, whether it's they sent it up on the last resupply mission or they'll stream it up to them. But um, Do they have a pirate bay on the ISS? <laughs> I'm sh- you know what? Probably not. But uh, it, it wouldn't surprise me if, if some intrepid uh, resident of the International Space Station was able to torrent uh, something. <laughs> so I Don't worry about it, guys. I figured it out. It's all right. <laughs> It's all right. Um, yeah, no, I, I, that's that's really cool. And um, I wonder, I can only imagine what it would be like to be on the International Space Station and then to watch Star Wars, where it's just like, you're already in space. You're like, this can't happen. They can't do this. And, Star Wars. by the way, there was something in the movie that they really can't do in space, but I'm not going to ruin it for you, Brendan. Well, they but do because have, you're a like, space reporter, you'll know it when you see it. On the, on the space station, they've got um, the hardware for them to drop down a screen and they have like a six foot projector in there um they've used it before for films so they probably have the best the best seats in the house to watch star wars there you go was the last film interstellar yes (laughs) i think it was either interstellar or gravity i think they watched which i I would not want to watch gravity while i was on the international space station no i I, uh, I that would make most people nervous yeah (laughs) what's uh i i don't know what Gravity, the movie is. That Gravity is, um, was with George Clooney and Sandra Bullock. Yeah, and basically it was like everything that could go wrong in space in a very realistic way went wrong. But it was like the, the least realistic space oh. movie ever. Yeah, really? let's not watch that yeah. while you're stuck yeah, in there's, space. There's, there's, there's every time you talk to folks at, uh, at NASA in the space industry, the bane in their – the oh, sore in their, in their behind it, 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 is it's gravity. Is like the whole thing that caused everything was kind of yeah. like a yeah. – okay. Yeah. okay, that makes sense. Wow. Okay, well, uh, all right, we won't say anything more about Star Wars other than it was brought to you by Akamai, but we're, they're not an ad. Actually, they're not an me, advertiser on our podcast. It was brought to you by Akamai once, and then it was brought to me by Two Sigma the other time. Okay, now the swag that you got at, at Two Sigma, was that better than the Akamai swag? Uh, I was given better free snacks. Better free snacks? The two buckets of popcorn weren't enough for you, Christian? No. <laughs> well, okay. Uh, all right, well. Any, anything else you want to say about, about, about that? It was enjoyable. It was enjoyable. Yeah. And, and I'll just say three words. Vacuum of space. Anyway, moving on to our... You know, I always had these jingles in the order in which we use them on the show, but then I can't find them when we need them. That's just... Uh, one day I'll get it together. Because it's our... Like I said, no, New York Minute. It's been quite a week for us in New York City this week because, well, on Monday there was a terror attack by the Port Authority. Yep. Uh, did you hear about that, Brendan? I did. Was that only last Monday? It was this Monday. This mo- my goodness, this week it has was been dragging. Days of- I mean, this Monday was the terror attack, then it was the tax plan Tuesday, net neutrality Wednesday, Star Wars Thursday, holiday party Friday, birthday party Saturday, and podcast Sunday. I'm going to just pass out standing up. I will say, as as an observer down here in Florida, like, the terror attacks was, was so interesting to watch unfold on Twitter. Because if something like that happened down here, we would be totally freaking out and all that. And all I saw on Twitter and Facebook was people upset that their commute was delayed. Right. Well, so, uh, <laughs> there's, a couple, there's a couple things. I mean, one of the, I mean, the thing is, is... 
Maybe terror attacks have become normalized enough well, to the point where we go, yeah, hey, you say. know, this one wasn't that big. This one wasn't that big. Hey, he couldn't even make his own bomb. Look <laughs> at him. Yeah. Well, what like, is he uh, going to do? Uh, was that Christian? I, I heard a few people say, like, like, I hate to say this, but I've grown numb to these. Is right. That a thing I've and heard that's a lot. And then, just like, like uh, the... Tyler said, uh, like, uh, I forget if it was in our chat or another group chat, but uh, he was like... The guy couldn't even blow things up right. Yeah, exactly. No, and I, I heard that from multiple people. Not to mention, what they didn't read was the article that said the Port Authority police jumped on the guy immediately after he, the, his, his vest bomb tried to go off, and they prevented him from doing something much worse. And nobody cares. Everyone, oh, yeah. like you said, oh, my, train, the, my train was delayed. Even my train though it, was I don't, not, actually. I was pretty happy about that. That's surprising. I don't even go near the Port Authority. And my, and it was, anyway. Uh, no, but the thing is, is that's, I mean, when the mayor of London, Sadiq Khan, says that we may have to terror attacks or the new normal, it might be right because this is what we're doing? Oh, it wasn't as bad as 9-11. Well, good! You don't want it to be another 9-11. You don't want it to be another any of these. I just, I don't know. Anyway, um... There's another kind of terror attack that the MTA is imposing on us subway riders, and that's when they're shutting down the L train for a whole year next year. Wait, is it 2018 now? 2019. April of 2019. So, next next year. So, by then we'll have the M, right? Yeah. Okay. There's probably going to be like a month where both trains will work, and then they're going to shut off the L train. And that's it. They already started digging up Bedford Avenue, which I don't know why, when they're not actually going to begin until April. Um, and that's, uh, I mean, it's just going to be a, it's going to be a mess. The MTA says that they're going to do what they usually do and add shuttle buses instead of more subway cars. Because that solves stuff. Because that solves stuff. And you, if you want to hear my rant about how there's no more bandwidth on the streets of New York, you can listen to our last podcast, Pull Request Number Forty One. Anyway. Um, it says that the bulk of the 225,000 L-Train riders who travel between Manhattan and Brooklyn every day are expected, are expected to move on to other subway lines. The MTA said more subway cars will be added to the G and C trains, even though that's not really going to help most people who ride the L. Uh, the M will run up to the end of the 2nd Avenue subway to 96th and 2nd, and a free transfer is also available to the G train at the Lorimer Street stop by crossing over to Broadway and using your Metro card. Seriously, they're going to do that. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, and if you look... Uh, on this uh, on ny.curbed.com you can see a map of what they're going to do and they're also showing what they're going how they're going to ruin 13th and 14th streets in the city for the next year or so two years as they're working on the tunnel in fact 14th street will be closed entirely to cars that'll be kind of nice actually it will. So if you have to go from 13th Street to 15th Street, all you have to do is go south and then go east over the Williamsburg Bridge and then go north into Queens and then make a left and go west over the Queensboro Bridge and then head south back into the city down to 15th Street. That will only take you an extra hour. Don't have, the, have a car in the city. Or don't drive. Right. <laughs> Like, but, Eric, like Eric used to. <laughs> exactly, like I used to. But the thing is, is that... Uh, is that you know, as we're living in gentrified Brooklyn, I'm watching these buildings turn into new high-rises. There's one to the left of me that's almost done. It's like three giant buildings squished together. I can't even afford to live yeah, to the building high, next door. These are high-rises in Bushwick yet. Williamsburg, I said gentrification yes. buildings. Did I say high-rise? You said high-rise. 
Uh, it's a Bushwick high rise. It's like five floors. Oh, and, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> and uh, yeah, there's one that's like seven floors right next to the uh, right on Myrtle Avenue where you can hear the train go by. Anyway, we're losing it because we forgot the best story in our New York minute. A Long Island woman has been charged with stealing tens of thousands of dollars to send to ISIL. That's right. The Islamic State fighters in Syria uh, and the Levant using Bitcoin. Start spreading the news. Her lawyer says she was simply collecting money to help Syrian refugees. Zubi Shanaz, that's her real name, 27, is accused of giving banks phony financial information so she can get credit cards and a loan, totaling at value more than $85,000 before sending that money to ISIS overseas, according to a statement released on Thursday. Uh, yeah, that's that's about it. She's also done extensive internet research into moving into moving to Syria to join ISIS, including tips and tricks on making the move, and had read articles on quote top female jihadis. And let me guess, they had a wiki how on this whole uh, too. <laughs> exactly. That, no, it was a BuzzFeed article. Ah. Eleven different ways you can join ISIS. Anyway. Uh, that's uh. Yeah, that's that, and because it's this is you know we did a much better show last week. I'm sorry, Brendan. Was, <laughs> this I, is great. I, you're you're. I, this is a lot of fun. It's fun, but it, you know, just like the new Star Wars movie was fun. It wasn't good. It was fun. <laughs> okay. So uh, no, because I just I can feel it. Last week's show was just it was so tight, and I was hitting all the things at the right time. And now I'm just more stalling for more time because Brendan, it's Sunday night, so that means it's time for our GitHub issues of the week. Our first GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Metal LB. Metal LB is a load balancer built by Google for Kubernetes using the Border Gateway protocol. Take it away, Christian. Sure. So the issue is um, if you, uh, there's ARP speaker, which ARP is responsible for resolving IP addresses to MAC addresses. And uh, basically, whichever one in the load balance cluster, uh, that there's a leader election to decide which one's actually uh, keeping track of this at a time. And this works fine if, the, uh, if you have things uh, uh, configured for, for cluster. Uh, because then any node will just always uh, forward to that. But if you're trying to do some local traffic, then it'll only expect to be working on one node, and the re- everything else just kind of gets black holed. And gotcha. So uh, the solution to this, though, is uh, just saying that just use cluster if you're using this uh, tool in, in Kubernetes. Uh, don't don't try to do anything hacky. Use cluster. What what hacky thing would they be doing? Not using a cluster? Trying to use local when you're trying to use a load balancer that's for clustering. Well, how would you use a load balancer without a cluster? That doesn't make any sense. What do you balance? Yes, that's the point. Well, that's RTFM, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. RTFM, noob. All right. Anything else to add? Not really. All right. Moving on to our next GitHub issue of the week. Our second GitHub issue of the week comes to us from Todd. Yep, I know when that Todd line. Who's blinked. Todd? It's Todd. You know Todd. No, I know Tom. Who's to- Todd? No, Todd. No, Tom. You know Todd. The Devil and Bob. No, Todd. Todd. He, yeah, Todd pers- uh, provides distributed connectivity and capacity testing. Okay, haven't heard of him. 
<laughs> uh, well, uh, so it, there's an agent uh, for Todd that you uh, deployed to the servers that you're testing, and it has match criteria for groups, uh, one by subnet and one by name. And if you have it configured to use both, it's going to flap between the two of them, and that's the issue. So uh, one solution would be actually uh, uh, building a feature so Todd will prefer uh, prefer the most specific match. So if you have like a subnet a subnet that is only like uh, 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 like one wildcard uh, versus a name that is all wildcard, then it'll choose the subnet and vice versa. What would be a name that's all wildcard? Just star. That'd be for the any, host? A, any name. Any host. Yeah. Yeah. Can you do that? Yes. I guess that makes sense because it doesn't actually mean any host. Well, it's, it's not the, it's not actually the host name. You're not saying the host name is star. You're saying you're looking for a host name of star. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah. Capacity testing. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, moving on to our third GitHub issue, MGBA. It's an open sourced Game Boy Advance emulator. Yeah, sounds pretty cool. Yeah, I've been tinkering with it this weekend. How how is it? It's pretty cool. I've been trying to get. Uh, remember on the Game, game Boys and Game Boy Advance link cable. Yeah, yeah. So this thing, you can do that on a single computer right now, and I'm working and on getting it to, to work over, over the LAN. Oh, so if you have another GBA emulator, yep. you can just use the you can use whatever link cable thing is in the emulator, and then it'll work over the LAN. Yep, that's pretty cool. Does it work over a WAN? Like we could actually do link cable. Like we could do, we could play Pokemon uh, and battle each other. That'd be a lot more work, but uh, it's it would be doable. Make that happen. That would be really cool. I'd love to play you in Pokemon in an emulator that uses a cable that no one should be using anymore. Anyway, uh, so, it, so it causes a segmentation fault in Medusa. What's Medusa? So Medusa is a particular way to run the, uh, the emulator. It's a, uh, okay. uh, basically a hypervisor. And now, what's so special about a PS4 controller that it causes this segmentation fault? Well, it's the specific driver itself has an out-of-bounds memory access. Ouch. Yep. Isn't that one of those things that you test for? Yeah, but uh, it's also hard- hardware level. It's hard to test for. Gotcha. Um, how do you fix it? You just have to uh, fix the firmware? You, yeah, you have to actually uh, fix the driver. Great. Well, okay. Fix that, and then we can get back to playing Pokemon. Hmm. Uh, our last GitHub issue of the week. Comes to us from CryFS, as in when you're using a Macintosh, it makes you cry. Mac rebooting when trying to mount directory. Yep. What's what is it actually does it actually work natively? What? CryFS? So CryFS is not like a you can't uh, boot off of it. The CryFS is not like a, a file system that you uh, format your disk to. CryFS is a user space file system that encrypts the files for writing and then you can upload it to uh, like a Dropbox or iCloud. Gotcha. Yeah. What? But doesn't? Oh, the, oh, then you wouldn't be exposed to the ciphertext. I was going to say, doesn't HFS Plus or the new uh, file system in OS ten thirteen encrypt all the stuff? But it, it does. But it doesn't. It won't let you see the ciphertext. It does it in. Um, so this is more so for like that's for like somebody trying to access your computer by like mounting their hard drive into another computer. Which, the, no, given this, the, this root, is, uh, the root password bug with Mac OS, it's actually much easier than to do that now. This is for uploading your files to something like Dropbox or iCloud, and somebody gets into iCloud or Dropbox, and they still don't have access to your files. Okay. Like the government? Yep. It's pretty good. Does it have a, a backdoor, some kind of universal key? Not that I'm aware of. Pretty good? Yeah. 
Uh, only issue here is oh, the OX kernel uh, panics uh, and then at the reboot on this mount. But right. the issue happens to be an OSX fuse, which is a natural. Uh, That's another open source yeah. uh, project. Yep, fuse. You know, f- uh, file system user space uh, environment. Uh, yep. So you just got to reinstall it though, and it works. Gotcha. Yep. I use Fuse to mount NTFS drives on Mac OS, and it works pretty well. Nice. Um, okay. Well, since Tyler's not here, we can't do our plus ones. Or maybe we can. Our pull request plus ones are where we send well wishes and acknowledgments of awesomeness to people and other organizations. Who's our first plus one this week, Eric? Our first plus one this week goes to the dingbat at, at, at the FCC, Ajit Pai. All right, that's all I got. <laughs> he gets a minus one. He gets a minus one for doing the same kind of rote BS argument that people, usually Republicans, usually big government conservatives, wheel out when it comes time to regulate these giant companies. So he gets a minus one for this week. Also getting a minus one for this week are the creators of South Park because there's no new episodes. Well, I think they're done for the season. That I want to watch more. <laughs> Why are there nine shows? Can't there be... I thought there was going to be eight or there's ten. There's ten. There's ten. Oh. Maybe... Okay. Well, that minus one might need to be revoked. Uh, and then the last plus one goes to uh, Tom Papa. He's a great stand-up comedian. I don't know if you guys have heard of him. Uh, That's no. a no. <laughs> uh, we saw him last night, uh, and he's really great. He's uh, he's in the cadre of all of those uh, aging Gen X comedians that are all friends with each other. That's really cool. It's a cool group. Uh, I wish I could get into it, but I can't. And uh, he's very positive. He's very upbeat, and he and he killed. And he, there were no groans. There were no weird audience responses. It was a great show. <laughs> and so that's been our plus ones. All right. Tyler's plus ones are usually better. <laughs> uh, let's see. Moving on from our plus ones, I'm giving myself double duty this week because it's our Apple Attack. That's right. Brendan, one new segment we've added is trashing Apple every week because they're a horrible company right now. And that sounds, uh, sounds fun. It is because you know my first computer was a Macintosh. I have I'm surrounded by Apple stuff right now, and this might be the peak. This might be the peak of my Apple consumption because probably I'm not going to get a new iPhone. But this week's Apple attack is how on the new iPhone, Apple is sharing your face with apps, and they don't have many privacy controls for it. And that's about it. There's well, there's not that year, much... For years, when Snapchat booted up, it took a picture of your face before anything. And what happened with that? Yeah, they still do it. But that's in the app. This isn't system level. So the idea is that uh, iOS 11 on the iPhone 10 will... Uh, you know, has that face ID stuff. You unlock it with your face. And it will share that data with some apps, and Apple is not entirely transparent with how that works and the security therein they just say it's secure we take privacy and security very seriously apple spokesperson tom newmeyer said this commitment is reflected in the strong protections we have built around the face id data that we're not telling you what it is 
it's protected in the secure enclave, but I believe... Didn't we see that get hacked recently? Um, I do not recall. This was, uh, yes. This was earlier this year. The iPhone's most secure component was hacked, but there's no reason to panic because apparently... I don't know why. Well, just call me Jeff Sessions because I do not recall. <laughs> oh, there we go. The, the hack applies only to the older iPhones. Anyway, it's secured in, it's stored in the secure enclave like your fingerprint was, but there's, me, there's much more data about your face, and it can be, like I said, your fingerprint data can't exactly be shared across apps in the same way that your face can. If you download this uh, app called MeasureKit, it exposes the Face ID API that Apple makes available, and it will make a wireframe over your face and then highlight which of about 50 or so gestures that you can do. And that's all coming through the Face ID API. Meaning, there, you can get this data. I don't see how private it is. Like, I'll give you an example. Remember that uh, a couple weeks ago we talked about apps that can have a malicious authentication window that looks exactly like the legitimate one from macOS or iOS? Mm -hmm. You do the same thing with your face. And, of course, the cops can unlock your phone with your face with you handcuffed behind it. So, uh, that's one thing. Uh, another Apple attack, our second punch. Apple CEO backs China's vision of an open internet as censorship reaches new heights. Timmy C. seems to be a fan of uh, state-controlled internet. Actually, from, if you read this article, it seems like it's a, a more so China's being very pro-open internet. I think he's calling their internet open. No, that's not at all. It's, uh, this is uh, uh, at, at the uh, World Internet Conference in China. They were saying they're, they're, uh, China is uh, looking to open their doors to uh, more of the uh, media outlets of the internet. Right, but his appearance lets cre leads, sorry, lends credibility to a state that ex aggressively censors the internet, throws people in jail for being critical about social ills, and is building artificial intelligence systems that monitor everyone and targets dissent. So, maybe they want to be an open internet, and then a trap door will open up under you, and you'll get sucked into some kind of underground dungeon if you besmirch the Chinese government. But that's going to happen here, too, it seems. It is going to happen here, too, which explains exactly why Timmy C. is a nice fan of this authoritarianism. And, of course, it will be done under the name of inclusion and diversity. Now, here's an uppercut, actually. This is not so bad. The iMac Pro will, uh, will start rolling out uh, next week. There is an iMac Pro. Apple just took their old iMac and they turned it gray. Um, no. It has... Possibly, possibly decent specs. Uh, where is it? It's, uh, 128 gigs of RAM, 18 core processor, 4 terabyte SSD. That sounds like a real computer for 2017. Uh, what's the processor clocked at? Uh, it's a Xeon probably at 4 gigahertz. That's pretty good. It is pretty good. It beats the garbage can Mac Pro mm -hmm. that they uh, put out in 2012, which it should have been like five years. And um, I don't think you can upgrade the iMac, however, so however much RAM you get it with is however much it's got. But uh, that's it. Uh, they're working on a modular Mac Pro as well. Um, and Craig Federici says, I think we've designed ourselves into a bit of a thermal corner as they've been huffing their own farts since Steve Jobs died. I'll just take an empty wine glass, thank you. Exactly. Exactly. All right. That was quite a big Apple attack, but... They've really been falling out of favor. 
with yep. us recently. Um, our big exploit for the week is a suspicious BGP routing event that might route traffic through Russia? Well, so this... It's not like a thing that's ongoing. This happened this week. Right. Yeah. Oh, okay. So it, it's over. Yep. Traffic sent to and from Google, Facebook, Apple, and Microsoft was briefly routed through a previously unknown Russian internet provider called KremlinNet. No. Uh, Wednesday, under circumstances that researchers said was suspicious and intentional. The unexplained incident is involving the internet's border gateway protocol, which does what, Christian? It's essentially a way to uh, say <clears throat> to the world, hey, I've got this range of IP addresses, and uh, through that, uh, it'll also route your IP-level uh, packets based on uh, what BGP uh, tells you. How does it tell you? Uh, uh, through these uh, BGP communities, uh, the, the, there's a series of rules that basically say, uh, here are these IP, this IP range, and uh, there's a series of rules that'll uh, to between like the ASN number, uh, the um, uh, actual uh, if you have a uh, your IP range being a slash sixteen or a slash twenty four or a slash eight, like a, uh, the lower the number, and, and, the more and you're let's going. let's let's explain this to Brendan. What is what are the differences between the slash eight or sixteen or twenty four? Uh, basically, the size of the IP range. Uh, the larger number means actually the smaller um, amount of IP addresses in the, the range. I knew that. So, Great. No, I didn't. Absolutely not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I'm glad we can. I'm glad we can demystify some of this for you. Thank you. Uh, okay, so uh, there was a potential attack on BGP. Would you say? Would you call this an attack? I would call it an attack on the internet, not so much BGP. But on the internet. Yeah. Okay. Uh, not really an attack a... so much as like a hack. The hijack lasted a total of six minutes and affected eighty separate address blocks. It started at 4.43 UTC, so we were uh, minus five. Yep. We were still awake. Uh, the second hijacking occurred at 7.07 UTC and also lasted three minutes. Meanwhile, a second monitoring service, Curator Labs, with a Q, said the event lasted for two hours, although the number of hijacked address blocks varied from 40 to 80 during that time. And they're saying it's not just another BGP error, as I think we've had a real BGP error a couple months ago. Yeah, there was the Comcast one. That was yes, funny. <laughs> Comcast only has more power now over the internet. But anyway, well, technically it was uh, level 5, but uh, Comcast was on level 5. Gotcha. Some of these prefixes don't normally exist, i.e. there was a Google slash 16, and all of a sudden a more specific slash 24. And they say that the slash 16 was expected, but the 24 was not... Yeah, that sounds right. So are they are they trying to fuzz the BGP servers or like what is what is no, this attack actually? What, the, what this is actually doing is IP spoofing at a level that is uh, transport protocol agnostic. Ah, now how do they know if it is IP spoofing? Mm-hmm. How do they know? And I asked this question, the same question to you a year ago. How do they know it's actually coming from Russia? So in this case, you look at the ASN and you, you can see who it's registered to. And there's also GeoIP data, but that's not the but case But if they're in this. spoofing the IP range, or they're spoofing the IP addresses, then how do they know? How do you know it's not Langley? Well, be- these are th- these are actually Google IP addresses that are being spoofed. These aren't being like spoofed to be other IP dr- addresses to frame something. No, I, I understand that. But when they uncover the spoofing, they say it's coming from Russia. But can't that even be spoofed in well, another no, level? They're looking at the ASN number, which is much harder because you actually have to like uh, go to a registry and register that. 
So that, that what for? I don't remember exactly, but that is the thing responsible for for uh, actually broadcasting uh, the your uh, IP block. Gotcha. Gotcha. And uh, so the thing here, though, is that they're actually spoofing a Google IP address, and the, based on the uh, BGP's routing rules, they were the more favorable one. So all that traffic that would normally go to Google was going to them. Ah. Uh, and they have... In the, oh, and it says there was a Russian ASN, uh, AS39523. And... Yep. I don't know what that actually means, that- other than it's Russia. And it remains unclear what engineers inside AS39523 did with what can be terabytes of data that passed through their servers. Generally, email and web traffic is encrypted using transport layer security or other schemes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And a large, a large part of this issue is the fact that BGP was created at, in the early stages, literally the earliest stage of the Internet. So it wasn't really and made to be secure. Yes. It, it, security is based on trust and word of mouth. Right, which... Works for Google, but not for Russia. So it doesn't work for Google. It really doesn't work for the internet. It's just this is something that, uh, being that it is a hard thing to understand, and it's such a black box that hasn't been a priority really. Hmm. Gotcha. Uh, moving on, you sent me this link called Internet in- Internet Internet Chemotherapy. Yep. Can you explain what this is? So one, it's archived, meaning the creator took it down. Okay. And two, uh, with this, this is a, um, uh, essentially a, what's the right word for this, uh, collection of, uh, particular... It's like a manifesto, uh, almost. Uh, yeah, uh, of, uh, particular exploits that have either happened or can absolutely happen on the internet. Basically, uh, trying to ex- expose the internet as this very insecure thing, which, yes, it is. Well, and, and they specifically oh, talk wait, about... wait, I just, I just saw the author's name. Can we appreciate the guy's name is... Dr. Cyborkian. Ha! <laughs> Cyborkian. Um, I mean, but he's specifically talking about IoT exploits. They have in caps, well, you should wake up to the fact that the internet is only one or two serious IoT exploits away from being severely disrupted. He's, it's not so much that that, that is the, the focal point of this, so much as because there are so many IT, IoT devices... That are on the real internet, be, too. Uh, what? That are on the real internet, too. Yeah. So any attack that would normally be like, oh, okay, it's a bad attack, but it wouldn't be crazy. IoT devices, there's so many of them. Like think about all those Amazon buttons, right? That you or push those them, Amazon and you Echoes. Those things. Yeah, I don't, I don't help with that, but <laughs> it's just so much more, so much convenient, so convenient to ask what the weather is instead of having to push a button to find out. I know, but it's such a drag. Imagine what yeah. they had to do 20 years ago when they couldn't even just push a button. <laughs> you had to go to AOL keyword weather. And then if so you got a phone call while you were looking at the weather, it shut everything off. But anyway, this this collection of uh, exploits are, is to uh, uh, he, uh, the author goes to great length to not like just hand you a machine gun here, but he uh, does a good job at explaining all these issues that are issues that just exist on the internet that need to be solved. This guy might have watched the movie Hackers too many times. I've done my or, part to try to buy Mr. the Robot internet fan. some time, but I've gone as far as I can. Now it's up to you. Even small actions are important. Among the things you can do are review your own ISP security through services such as Shodan. What is Shodan? Uh, I've heard of it. It's just like a uh, w- uh, way to, to uh, analyze your connection. Gotcha. Uh, it's it- like from the whole thing. Uh, and take them to task. Yeah, we're going to take 
Cablevision to task. Over, I would love to. Overexposed Telnet, HTTP, HTTPD, SSH, TRO69, etc. ports on their networks. Yeah, they're going to really listen to us. Vote with your wallet. Can't do that. Lobby your local politicians. They're not going to care. Uh, consider volunteering your time or other resources to underappreciated white hat organizations such as GDI Foundation or Shadow Server. Uh, these organizations and people make a big difference and they can significantly amplify the impact of your skill set in helping the internet. Anyway. Uh, so basically it's that the IoT is presenting a, a looming problem for internet security in the future. Mm-hmm. I like the last one actually. Uh, you didn't read that one. Oh, uh, the but, last uh, but not least? But, uh, yeah. Uh, last but not least, consider the long shot potential of getting IoT devices designated as an attractive nuisance through precedent setting legal action. If a homeowner can be. You know what? Hold on. I gotta do my. Uh, hold on. If a homeowner can be held liable for a burglar or trespass or getting injured, then I don't see why a device owner or ISP or manufacturer shouldn't be held liable for the damage that they cause. Okay. That's, uh, yeah. Oh, it's still there. How do I? Okay. Anyway. Uh, why, is you, why do you like this? Yeah, it's an interesting argument. Which, and a good point. Well, I mean, the I, he's saying the ISP should be responsible for the security flaws that occur in their subscribers' houses. Yeah. Should they? Yeah, I would agree with that. Should hey, Facebook you, be responsible bought, for the content that their users upload if they upload nefarious or malicious different. content? That's different. How? They're this all is, common carriers of data. Yes, but that's different. Because? This is you explicitly went and bought a device that is known to harm the internet. Uh, okay. Very good. Well, you know what? I've actually... Let's take a quick break because my uh, recording is doing that delay thing and it's starting to mess with my speech. Hmm. So, hold on. Just sit tight. I'm gonna... I'm gonna uh, say hi to B. Arthur. We're gonna say hi to B. Arthur for a second. Thank you for being afraid. Beautiful. And thank you for being a friend, Christian, Brendan, our listeners, our studio audience. We need a stage manager for them. Um, okay, now that we're back, back in the saddle of things, let's uh, let's turn to our recurring segment, the cryptocurrency connection. That's right, every week we talk about cryptocurrency and why Christian is sad that it's changing the world. I'm not You just sad. get tired of it. You're just getting tired of it. No, no, not even that. I just hate the regulation on it. Well, there's only going to be more regulation as they try to ruin cryptocurrency by tying it more to the dollar, by tying it more to current dollar-based financial products. It yep. was made to not be attached to any of that. Yep. Brenda, do you have any cryptocurrency? Brendan? Did he did Brendan die? Brendan? Okay, Christian, you still there? <laughs> Hello? Yes, hi. Hi. Hello. Is okay, you're still there. Where did Brendan go? I don't know. 
Oh, I hear something. Maybe he went to the bathroom because we wasn't talking. Hello. Anyway. Sorry, I'm back. Oh, hey. Do you own any, any uh, cryptocurrency? Do I own any cryptocurrency? No, but I wish no. I did. Yeah, we all... Don't we all? I think that's um, the... Yeah. Well, Venezuela, if you want to start on a new, uh, a new type of cryptocurrency, enter the Petro. That's right. Venezuela is launching a new oil-backed cryptocurrency to try to remove it from financial sanctions that were imposed by the United States. Venezuela will create a cryptocurrency, I just said, but so did uh, Maduro. He said in his regular Sunday televised broadcast, a five-hour showcase of Christmas so songs and dancing. Wow. I can only imagine what that was like. Uh, the Petro, he said, would help Venezuela advance in issues of monetary sovereignty to make financial transactions and overcome the financial blockade. Opposition leaders derided the announcement, which they said needed congressional approval, and some cast doubt on whether the digital currency would ever see the light of day. Uh, the real cu uh, currency, the Bolivar, is in free fall, and so they're making a new cryptocurrency. Why? Wouldn't that only fluctuate more wildly than their already wildly fluctuating inflationary currency? Not necessarily. Not necessarily. Okay, well, I, okay, I guess that that's what they're banking on, the X factor of the roller coaster versus just the free fall of their current hard currency. Yep, I mean, ha have you watched Mr. Robot? No, no, I haven't. Same exact thing. Uh, what, that they open up a cryptocurrency to get a country off the ground? Uh, basically, the entire world economy is destroyed, and they introduce uh, a, a Bitcoin equivalent. Huh, but how do they prevent it from doing all of those, like, 1920s stock market things? They don't. Well, then it will, which is why we have many regulations on the stock market now, even though those are being whittled away by Wall Street anyway. Um, I was talking to uh, someone who works at Fidelity about cryptocurrency, and he laughed at it, but he's an old man. And uh, he, he said that uh, these cryptocurrencies don't have any, anything tangible backing them other than hype. And so the ones like the ICOs, the initial coin offerings we were talking about, they're all running on fumes. And many hard currencies are backed with tangible items like minerals or resources or other things or human people, human capital. Um, Not the dollar. And, <laughs> sorry? Not the dollar. The dollar is actually backed by the GDP of the United States because I mentioned that. Is I was it? like, Bitcoin. I, 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 I'm telling I was, you, I was talking I was to someone who works uh, at a was, giant bank. It was backed by the, the value people believe in the dollar. It is a... It's, it, it, well, it's it's yes, in the sense that it is fiat currency. Yes, however, when it's taught, when it's exchanged with other currencies, it's not just how do you feel today. It's based off of the GDP and the GDP to debt ratio of the country, whatever it is, and that's slightly more real. That's, that's a, a, a recursive loop then, because G GDP is based on how much gr uh, growth. It is. It's it's a bad system. Yeah. That's why money is worth much less than it used to be. But. The thing is, is that that actually is somewhat something real, something kind of tangible. It's not just no, it's not. It num numbers on an Excel no, spreadsheet. No, it's a recursive loop. It, it's not tangible whatsoever. It's saying that based on the amount of dollars you produce, the dollar is worth this much. No, it's based... Yes. But the dollars that were produced were already produced. Yes. So it's, Until it, it's the like Fed a snowball. decides to add more into circulation. Right, which is why inflation keeps going up. Anyway, uh, moving on, there's a new Beanie, beanie Baby craze, because it is the 90s again, except this time it's 
even less tangible than actual Beanie Babies, some people have spent over a million U.S. dollars buying virtual cats on the Ethereum blockchain. Launched a few days ago, CryptoKitties is essentially digital Beanie Babies. Um, and it's so it's so pervasive that it's actually slowing down the whole Ethereum sphere. If you want to take, if you want to have any transactions, if you want to transact an ether, you can't because it's being slowed down by people buying these internet kitties. Well, Even each yet. cat is is one of a kind, so I mean. Yeah, and imagine the resale value on these bits, I guess. I don't know. Oh, so far, over $1.3 million has been transacted with multiple kittens selling for about 50 Ether, which is around $23,000. My God. That's insane. I, I swear to God. <laughs> and the genesis for a kitten being sold for a record 246 Ether, which is around $113,000. A third-party site tracks the largest purchases made to date. And any good, and like any good viral sensation, prices are rising and fluctuating fast. Right now, it'll co- cost you about 0.3 ether or twelve dollars to buy the least expensive kitten in the game. Yeah, I'm a cat person. I like cryptocurrency. God, no, I'm, I'm not doing this. No, I like real cats and real money, and not this fake stuff. And by the way, speaking of. Uh, of cryptocurrency, cryptocurrency exchanges. This might be a product placement, but I found on CNBC, which they have a crypto channel, CNBC Crypto, which gives me anxiety attacks every time I watch it because it reminds me of how I should have invested in cryptocurrency years ago. But they say to give Bitcoin as a Christmas gift. And good luck figuring out how much that actually is because by the time that you give it to the person, it'll be a different number. Um... But they say, but Coinbase apparently has an app. And reading through this, this does sound like a product placement. Do you have to do live reads on the air, Brendan? On the real radio? I do, yes. You do? Do you punch up the radio voice? Do you try to keep in the NPR tone? Uh, I, I, it's more of a conversational tone, so I try to stay like this. Unless it's, oh, unless you, it's so super exciting, and then you actually hear me get excited about it, but... Right, and then you and then you drop the name of the advertiser, so or underwriter. Sorry, you guys don't have advertising. I know yeah. that loophole. <laughs> um, anyway, <laughs> um, and that's yeah, and uh, and so it would be something like, well, you know, it's, it's, uh, cryptocurrency seems to be really big right now. Did you do you do you want a good Christmas gift idea? Is it something like that? Like, did you know that you could give Bitcoin for Christmas if you just download Coin, Coinbase? That's right. If you go to Coinbase.com and enter and go to the radio microphone in the top right-hand corner and enter promo code BRENDAN, you can save $5 on your next Bitcoin. See, that would not be allowed on public radio. But they do that with Carbonite. It, 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 it's a very specific that, call to action you have to have. But, they, but don't they say, go to the, they, don't they literally say, go to the radio microphone in the top right corner on Carbonite and enter promo code This American Life or whatever it is? I don't think they actually have that one anymore. I, I oh. haven't heard that in a while, but uh, it, it's, hope, it's very not. specific with what you can and cannot say. Okay, that's good oh. because they can't because then the tax man's going to come exactly once they start actually taking ads. <laughs> um, yeah, that's a great Christian. Here's what we need to do: we need to start a company that takes donations only, and then we produce all of the media content. Uh, we buy all of the the assets and we invest all the dollars through that company. So then we write off. All of the money that is given to us as a charitable donation, and then we also... No, wait, hold on, I messed it up. We have one... I'm sorry. We have people... We have Okay, sorry. We start a company where we take advertising, 
and then we take that advertising revenue and donate it to a, a 501c3 that we use to produce our media. This way, the media gets their income tax-free. The company that we start gets to donate 100% of their revenue, so then they're effectively tax-free. And then we get to say, we don't take any advertising. Wouldn't that be great? Okay. That's what NPR does. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. <coughs> uh, moving on. Uh, let's see. Uh, you know, we actually uh, we actually don't have the one of my favorite my favorite favorite segment for the show. Uh, oh, my I least think... favorite actually. <laughs> oh, you, really? That's your that's yeah. your least favorite. The uh, Theresa May models the internet. You don't like it? it? It gets old. Well, I mean, she was for a while every week doing something, but I think she's stopped. And now we've been giving Ajit Pai the new the new treatment, um, and that's exactly what it's going to be this week as he's murdering the internet with. <laughs> His, I don't even know. I don't even know exactly what to call it, other than just Michigas, which is the harshest word I can use in our clean show. But um, but he'll try to spin it as he's breaking the internet, Kim Kardashian style. Yeah. Oh, you know. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, I have more to say, but first, let's hear it from our news department. No money on presents. News to you. Washington, D.C. The FCC's pernicious Pied Piper, Ajit Pai, has led the commission to reverse their regulations on Internet Service Providers, or ISPs, that were originally levied by the previous administration. While the Obama-era regulations have barely seen the light of day, they were taken as paramount to the security and integrity of the medium that has become so incredibly valuable to most people alive today. However, as we've said before, large corporate interests can and will prevent egalitarianism and democracy on the web. And this is nothing but a reality check. Much as the ebb and flow of other government regulations, we see the classic arguments once again. Consumers will flourish if the companies were left to their own accord to compete and create the best possible services for you. Discriminating consumers can then vote with their dollar and leave unscrupulous ISPs. However, the reality, time and time again, differs from this philosophy. Most municipalities only have one or a couple choices, and if those companies don't act in your best wishes, screw you. Whether it's trickle-down economics or the light-touch regulation from the FCC, they allow the few giant companies to collude for even more spaces on the ever-dwindling monopoly board of capitalism. And that's why this has been News to You. Brought to you by Pneumonium. Yeah, I hate this argument. We go through this argument over and over and over and over, whether it's about immigration, whether it's about media, whether it's about food, whether it's about anything. Let the companies do what they want. They'll, they always have the consumer's best interests in mind, and then if we just don't regulate them, they'll, they'll do the right thing. That's never happened. That's never happened. That's every time a company or a series of companies have gotten a chance to do it, they never act in the wishes of the people. They only act in the wishes of the people running the company or their shareholders to whom they're fiduciarily responsible, fiscally responsible. Yep. Right. So... (laughs) Uh, is there, I mean, the, had, did you watch, did either of you happen to watch the FCC hearing on Wednesday when they were actually talking about this? Yep. And what was your takeaway? Uh, Adric Pai has his head so far up his ass he can see the future. Right, and that's why he's repealing these regulations, so we could see it too. <laughs> no. Uh, you watch it, Brendan? I did not watch it. Um, I, I did see 
highlights of it, and it uh, uh, to maintain my my non biasness, I'll have to say no comment. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> well, I'll say that they're a bunch of dingbats. Uh, no, and, and the, the arrogance that these people have when they just they get up there and they're they're smirking, you know, they're cracking jokes. They're like, "Oh, maybe the last week tonight viewers won't like this." Ah. Like, oh, gee, oh my god, I just the callousness and the bravado of these white men. Sorry, Ajit Pai isn't a white male. He's yeah. Just a man. Whoa, whoa. Buddy. But no, I, I had to. I had buddy. no. The, the, the bravado. Buddy, of these this is people. equally as racist as anything else. Come on. Uh huh. Anyway, uh, all these people who don't care, except to the people that are paying them, they don't care. Ajit Pai said this once he got on the mic. He said, uh, "You know, today I uh, I was I was FaceTiming with my kids, and I I was listening to a podcast, and then I I I ordered food online." It's the brilliant things that we couldn't do 20 years ago because of the... That's one company. That's one company. Apple can do all those things, and Apple is not going to be... Is not going to lose in net neutrality. You know who is going to lose in net neutrality? Us. The solo people who are trying to build a media empire with, from nothing, that don't have any major corporate partnerships, that don't have any brand alliances, that don't have a leg to stand on once people stop once people are no longer able to consume our content. Yep. Yeah. It's sad. It's sad. It's 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 just it's 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 almost as sad as a new Star Wars movie. No. No, no. No, that wasn't sad. It wasn't sad. Uh, but, until you uh, saw the deleted scene where about... Luke and Leia did something extra. Anyway, uh Whoa, what? <laughs> no, nah, but it's, uh, uh what, episode nine. I I wouldn't call it a um uh How'd you put it? Um, oh, with the one company argument being Apple, that that wasn't true. It's still, he, two of the three things that he said. No, were his argument the same doesn't company. work because net neutrality is still in effect at this at that point. Well, the, <laughs> he, he was making an argument for it, if anything. But no, what he the, said the, was those that companies are make... seamless, which started as a startup. Those companies, yes, are Apple for podcasts, maybe or Spotify, which started as a startup. Or, uh, right, but but these companies that were startups were only able to blossom because of the free and open internet. Yes, even though it wasn't entirely free and it wasn't entirely open. It's but, it's free if if you aren't if your parents are paying for it. No, no. It, uh, no the biggest issue is the ISPs have all or have already ruined uh, the, the, the idea of it being free. But but they did that a long time ago. I mean, despite yep. this FCC ruling, I still you would still see because this happened. Oh. Uh, Earlier this year, maybe it was last year, I saw a commercial for Hulu on Sprint. And what they said is, if you have Sprint, you can watch all the Hulu you want, and it's not going to count against your data cap. That's the whole thing. That's the whole Megillah right there. Yep. Because, God forbid, you want to watch some pneumonium video. We don't have any. Um, You know, that's that's really going to slow you down. But... If we're on Hulu, then it's not going to cost you a penny. And guess what? Then Hulu gets the priority because these people, because people aren't going to want, they don't even want to spend 99 cents on an app. So, yeah. 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 Uh, One thing that one of the FCC people said was that the Title II restriction, which is the number one thing that so many people have been uh, hampering on, uh, did not actually require the ISPs from uh, uh, require the ISPs to treat traffic evenly. 
In fact, the, the, it said, uh, they said that uh, they were able to do this throttling and this blocking from day one, regardless of Tom Wheeler's restrictions, A, and that Tom Wheeler's restrictions, B, haven't really even seen the light of day because they were supposed to go, to infect, uh, go into effect right before they were yanked by Pai. That's true. So, you know, the, the government, when they, when they say that the, the people more often than not are misinformed about this, they're not entirely wrong, but they're definitely not right. And the same goes the other way, which is that the government are so out of touch with how the Internet actually works and how, dem- how there is a sense of, there was a sense of democracy on the Internet. And it's just going away, and it's going to go. And they're trying to rope these 20th century rules about media and media distribution onto a 21st century medium, and it just isn't going to work. So, I don't know what happens from here on out. But I'll say this: if I ever have to pay money to access Facebook, that's going to be the first thing to go. That will be not even a question. It's goodbye. So, anyway, thank God. Yeah, that's a, that's a good reason to get off of Facebook. It's going to cost more money, even if it costs 50 more cents. Nope. Also, you're the only person on my Facebook that posts political things anymore. <laughs> well, I've, 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 tried to, I've tried to cut back, but it's not. It's, it's hard with so, much, so many politics. It's not hard when literally everybody else on my Facebook doesn't do it. Okay. Well, when have I been like everybody else, Christian? That's true. <laughs> Never. Let's take a quick break. Say, friends, do you live in New York City? Well, if you do, Pneumonium has a beautiful new product for you. It's called Where Am I? Your five-borough compass navigator to help you get anywhere from Staten Island to the Bronx. Simply go to www.whereami.nyc and enable location services on your mobile device to find the nearest neighborhood borough and three closest subway stops to you wherever you are. No ads, no tracking, just geospatial brilliance. That's Where Am I? Brought to you by Pneumonium. Pneumonium, reinventing media daily. And that will probably not be able to be accessed in, uh, under the world of... Uh, no, you'll be fine. It's not going to be as bad as, we, as people make it out to seem, but it's no, not going to be, be really the slow. Wild West that it used to be either. It'll be slow to access stuff like that. Exactly, exactly. So, But, you know, the biggest thing that people care about, as you could tell by the Huffington Post article, was Netflix is going to buffer. Anyway. Let's turn our heads away from something inside computers and turn our eyes towards the sky to talk about... Space. I don't have any music, sorry. Oh, come uh, on. I don't, what do you, I, what can I? <laughs> you couldn't you at least I'm, do the X-Files theme? <laughs> Did you, I can, I do, do the what? X-Files theme. Oh, X-Files. That's, I should have, I should have asked that. I should have asked you that beforehand. I'm Throw sorry. it in, a, in post-production. We'll pretend like yeah, it's exactly. there. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Can I do the, uh. Oh, there we go. Here we go. Let's turn our heads to the skies and talk about space. That was a good choice. Yeah. All right. So, uh, uh, let's see. Well, how do we how do we start this off? Um, Brandon, we had you on about six months ago. We were talking about uh, the the political hangups that we're, we we're in with uh, space and and where we stand with going back to the moon or going to Mars. Uh huh. Why don't we start with the moon? Yeah. Uh, there's someone in politics, he's very prominent, you can't miss him, uh, who says that we really should return to the moon. Now, do you think that's a good idea on its own, yes or no? Um, yes. Do you think that 
going to the moon on its own, and this is not talking about the person who said these words, it's about going to the moon, do you think that really is just some kind of BS for baby boomers that need to that need to have their joy of space reignited after 50 years? Absolutely years? not. I think it, it, is, it is a fantastic idea, and from the people that I talk to um, that are invested in the space industry, whether it's engineers or scientists or visionaries, the moon is a really good stepping stone to furthering our exploration of the solar system. Do you think that it would be advantageous for us to go to the moon before Mars? Absolutely. I don't. I, I don't think you you go to Mars without going to the moon. So let, let's let's um, hear some history of sure. the moon. So so the moon is um, is political, <laughs> um, and Republicans Republicans want to go to the moon. Democrats want to go elsewhere. Um, why? Why? why uh, I you know. Growing up in the 90s and the 2000s, there was so much, so many people saying, oh, if we could only get kids to enjoy space or want to go back to the moon or go to Mars, why does it have to be an either or? Why are people, are, do the Democrats not want to go to the moon just because the guy in charge says let's do it and they hate anything that he says? So this is, this is the thing. So, so Mars has always been the long-term goal for decades at this point. Right. Um, people have always wanted to go to Mars. It's where we go in between now and Mars. And the moon seems like a really smart idea because you can learn to live and work in deep space. Um, just, I mean, just for to get some perspective here, the International Space Station, uh, which is where we send astronauts now to, it's about 153 miles um, above the surface of the Earth. The moon That's is not a, very far. It's not very far. It takes about six hours to get there if you if you really wanted to. Um, the moon is about 239,000 miles away, so it took Take Apollo a astronauts about six days. Um, Mars, at its closest point, which happens once every two years, um, is about 33 million miles away. So at its shortest distance from Earth and going as fast as we possibly could, we would get there in nine months. So you're going from six hours, six days, nine months. Um, so it makes sense to start somewhere closer, like the moon. Um, the now, do, you Demo- think the moon do you think that... I mean, do you think that... Uh, people will be living on the moon in uh, this century? No. No. Do you think people will be living on Mars? Period. Maybe. Is it worth worth building a moon colony or a Mars colony for anything other than research? Um, maybe. I don't know. What about... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> what about the what about the idea? Now this is something I've heard, heard like as like a theory for years now of actually building colonies that orbit Earth, like you're basically like larger space stations. Yeah, so that's that's a really good idea, and and something like that is actually in its infancy at this point. So with with um, so so before this administration, um, under the Obama administration, the plan was to send humans. The stepping stone would be to an asteroid. Uh, but not just any old asteroid. They were actually going to fly a spacecraft out to an asteroid, a near-Earth asteroid, tug this asteroid to the moon, put it in a lunar orbit, and then that is where we would live and work. How not do you many... tug an asteroid to the moon, given they... all of the forces of gravity or not gravity? There was an idea to do it. It was not well-received by the space community, um, and it was officially <laughs> scrapped like literally a few months ago, which baffles my mind. What if we got mind. a giant rope? 
left. It was, it, was, it was the lasso and asteroid mission. Like, literally, it really I've was had, a lasso I've had and politicians tell me that. So, um... Well, what if so did they watch scrap. Armageddon too many times? Is that what happened? It must have been. But, what if um, they just pushed it? <laughs> I, I think that's what it was. They just pushed into a lunar orbit once it hit the uh, sphere of influence or whatever it is of, of the moon's gravity. But, anyways, the, the this administration thinks... That going back to the moon would be a better idea, and that's the same. Uh, George W. Bush um, thought that during the Constellation Program. H. W. Bush had the same thing. But the problem is, is that presidential administrations change, um, so those long-term goals get changed every time, every four, eight years. Um, and then we're still stuck here on Earth. And you're still stuck here. So, so that's the problem. Now, okay, would you? I don't want to say would you agree with Donald, but would you agree that going to the moon? is in our best interests as Americans. So I think going to the moon would be a good first step in recapturing our exploration of deep space. And and the reason I say this, it's not Donald Trump's idea. Um, this is spearheaded right. by the National Space Council, which Donald Trump started. Um, it's headed by Mike Pence. But the executive director is a gentleman called Scott Pace, and he's a very well-respected uh, person okay. in the space community. And he has been lobbying for this idea, and he has some really great ideas about going to the moon um, and what we can do. Basically, going to the moon is like camping in your backyard before you hike the Appalachian Trail. You have to do it before we're going to go to Mars. Um, and I think it's a it's a very good first step for this administration to um, understand that that is where we need to go first and, and start making that happen. So like NASA, they've got this idea called the Deep Space Gateway, and this would be um, uh, this would be a a almost an international space station-like research outpost in a lunar orbit. Um, so you can send people there, you learn to live and work in deep space again, it can send a service drop-off point to go to the lunar surface, and then you could use it to send people to places like Mars as well. But what about um, refueling and, and energy and stuff like that? So that's another th- reason why you want to go to the moon, too, because if you're going to go to Mars, you have to... Um, you have to match this thing called in-situ resource utilization. So basically, finding what's around you and turning into resources. Um, right. Recent discoveries, we found there's water on the moon, um, so it's a perfect opportunity to check out some tech that uh, NASA and other um, agencies are developing that, that will turn that water, split into hydrogen and oxygen, you can use that as rocket fuel. You'll have huh. to do that if you get to the surface of Mars. Um, you know, if we get to the point where we can turn water into rocket fuel, but we still have to go to Amico, but they don't exist anymore. <laughs> still have to go to BP to fill up our gas guzzler. Like, what's going on? Well, I mean, using hydrogen and oxygen as a fuel is like no, 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 extremely no, no. I, insane. I understand that. I <laughs> understand what's going on. No, but I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying <laughs> that there's like a serious anachronism here between like, oh, we've got the technology, we can just turn this water that we found on the moon into hydrogen-based rocket fuel. But God forbid we put that in a Chevy Cavalier. Actually, they, you know, there are hydrogen-powered cars. Yeah, but what hap- where have they been this decade? They've been in development and prototypes. Mm-hmm. And one, yeah. one almost went on the market until right, literally weeks before it was about to go on market. Uh, and it exploded? Yes. Well, you are driving around basically a hydrogen bomb. Yes. So, uh, and the technology uh, is actually quite, quite simple. It's, um, you, can, you can Google it. It's called a Sabatier reaction. Yeah, um, isn't that where they as, electrically charge the water yep, so it's to just separate as, it, the hydrogen from the oxygen? Yeah, it's a simple simple chemical reaction, and um, there's actually some folks that, that I've been talking to that developed 
um, this chamber um, at the Kennedy Space Center. It's called the Trash to Gas Chamber. And you can basically put <laughs> all sorts of stuff in it. Like, literally, you put food scraps or plastic or feces, or um, and then they burn it and turn it into water. And then they're able to separate the water into uh, hydrogen and oxygen using the Sabatier reaction. So, now, what's the net efficiency on that? It's actually it's quite. Efi- I, I don't know the numbers, but it's quite efficient. Um, enough okay. where enough where it would received funding to actually try it out in space. So, huh. but that's a whole other ball game. Fire in space, and they don't really like. Yeah, doing I mean, that. if we can get to the we can get to the point where we can generate fuel in space, that's the that's the, that's the game changer. Yeah, and and fuel out of poop and trash and oh, I man. mean, because what are you going to do with that stuff anyways on a nine month journey? You're going to dump right. it, not turn it into something yeah, you can yeah. use. That's a great. That's a that's a great idea. That's a great idea. So, how long do we need to? If we go back to the moon, let's say we build a colony. Well, first, should should all of this be government, or should should some of the private space industry, now that there is a private space industry, take some of that and run with it? There is no way that something like a moon base or a moon colony or anything outside of low Earth orbit that can be, be done by a single entity. It's, it's going to be either multiple governments coming together, much like the International Space Station, um, something between uh, private industry and, uh, and national agencies. There's no way that somebody can do this alone. It would have to be something like how we kind of have done uh, moon visits or just rocket launches where the government did it to start it off and now you have you know someone like Elon Musk who's trying to do it privately you, yeah yeah and you've got that but I mean there has to be and the, and the way that private companies have excelled in the rate that they have is because there has been a government agency providing that spearhead to do it no way does SpaceX do d- does what it does without having those contracts from NASA to resupply the space station. Right, you know, or large government subsidies. Right, and there would be there would be no market for private space industry if it wasn't for the large government agencies as well. So you need that that right. they call it the horizon goal, you know, that that long term thing that that agencies can look for and then have the contractors come in and start building step by step to get there so it's definitely a collaborative thing and no matter who you talk to in the private space industry they recognize that um you could kind of see the the political winds shifting um when president trump was in office and you started to see elon musk coming out and saying well hey i built this whole mars architecture but i could use this for the moon too if you're interested uh and jeff bezos with blue origin saying well i'm building this heavy lift rocket i could land stuff on the moon for you if you needed it um, right so you can see that they're trying to jump on to that long well, they see the need they see the need yeah exactly, exactly. right yeah. and hopefully the uh business-minded president that we have is Smart enough to help foster these industries so we can get off this planet. And, because- and, and to that point, um, when you talk to leaders in private space, they are they're optimistic as to this administration and how they are going to welcome private space and commercial space. And the, the NASA administrator that has been put up for nomination by this administration – he feels the same way, and a lot of the private leaders are happy with that. Whenever he gets um, uh, confirmed, that just just roll the dice. I have no idea when that's going to happen. This is the longest time we've been without a NASA administrator. Um, but oh, I didn't know we were lacking one. Yeah, no, we do not have a NASA administrator. We have a uh, interim administrator right now. Um, oh, 
we uh, President Trump nominated uh, Jim Bridenstine. Um, but let me guess, he doesn't know what a rocket is, much like the district court attorney who's never tried a case. He actually does know what a rocket is. Um, oh, that's good. He he worked at a uh, – he was a some leader at, at an airspace museum out there. Um, he's made some controversial comments about climate change, but he understands the important nature of NASA for, like, weather forecasting. He's in Oklahoma, um, so he knows how important it is um, to know sure. when a tornado is coming. Uh, but the the, the – the private industry is very happy with that pick. Um, what he does when he's in office, whenever that may be, we'll see. But right now they're optimistic about uh, Bridenstine. So do you think Bridenstine is going to just become, instead of just the acting administrator, the actual administrator? So he is or? not the acting administrator right now. The acting administrator oh, is a gentleman by the name of Robert Lightfoot. Um, and he's yeah. high on the engineering um, pecking order at NASA. Um, and he, he's an engineer at heart. Um but uh, yeah, he is the interim administrator, and uh, Bridenstein just is kind of sitting on the sidelines at this point. Gotcha. Okay, that makes sense. Um, what about NASA's budget? How how are they doing with the budget? So the budget's been it, it's been the status quo um, for quite a few budget cycles, about nineteen and a half billion dollars. Um, the thing about the NASA does that budget seem, does, is that going to be inflated? Because of the, 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 the aspirations to go back to the moon, or is it going to be squished because we need to take money away from the good things that we have in this country, or what is it? That's the big question. Um, I, I've, if this administration wants to see boots on the ground on the moon, they need to up that by about $5 billion a year. Um, well, what if, what if we just dropped a bunch of boots onto the moon. <laughs> then then we'd have go. boots on the ground. Then you'd make that campaign lot. promise. <laughs> exactly. We'll have boots on the ground yeah. in six months. I mean, in the grand scheme of things, $5 billion really isn't that much when you think about it, but trying to get $5 no. billion pushed through a congressional budget committee is uh, pretty difficult. So, I mean, if it's going to a company that sponsors uh, Lindsey Graham, then they'll, they'll, they'll figure it out. Anyway, <clears throat> I don't want to get too political, but it is hard. It is it's, hard. It's, it's more of an issue of uh, it's not rocket science, it's political science. So. <laughs> Do they sell that at NASA as one of their uh, souvenirs? That would be. I actually had uh, Scott Kelly told me that when I was uh, interviewing him a few weeks back. Oh, uh, that's great. So. That's great. Let's move, let's talk about uh, uh, Om Wawa. Um, so yeah, I'm going to try to pronounce. I've I've been avoiding covering the story because I can't pronounce it. Um, <laughs> well, here's your safe space. We'll give you your safe space. <laughs> it's I think it's Omuamua. Oumuamua. Yeah, it's um, it's as as it's a Hawaiian word meaning the the messenger or traveler or something. And what is this? Uh, so this is uh, this is giant piece of what they think is metallic rock hurling through the cosmos, and it made a quick stop through our solar system. Um, it's about eight hundred feet by a hundred feet. That's uh, kind of like the spear, this spear looking thing. Yeah, it's um, a very odd shape. Yeah, it's it's the first thing that we have found uh, from outside of our solar system that is stopping by um, inside the solar system. So the, the first interstellar body to grace our presence, basically. Huh. Um, and it just wants to use the bathroom and then it'll be on its way? Or what it, is it doing it's, in our it's, solar system? It's, it's, it's pretty much hurling through um, space How at does this it get point. this shape? It's a weird shape, and it and it's not like you would think that that thing is like flying like a spear. It's actually like tumbling erratically. Um, so it's that pretty wild. Sense. Yeah. So it's 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 wild, and scientists aren't really sure what to make of it. 
Um, we scanned it uh, for radio signals to see if it was uh, extraterrestrial or might have alien life, and uh, that was a no-go. Um, How I, can we scan for radio signals? What if they're using some kind of radio that we haven't thought of? That's true. They scanned it with quite a few different, I think it was like four different bands um, of, of radio frequency. So, Gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I find that out of everything, I find that just a little weird because we're not we're not at the we're not in the Jetsons yet. Where we're like, <laughs> you know, we're like, oh yeah, we wanted they weren't sending us anything. Well, how do you know that? You don't know that. We have no way of figuring that anyway. Um, while the long slender object may have been well suited to flying through clouds of interstellar gas at breakneck speed, also speaking of seeing Star Wars with Christian interstellar gas, uh, some researchers noted that the observation that the body was tumbling f- through space. Suggests that any aerodynamic advantage was at best minimal. It's 4,000 meters long? 400 meters long, sorry. Yeah, it's about 800 feet. Uh, yeah, and... Okay, so just a giant space rock that we haven't seen anything like this before. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of reminded me, like, I've, I've been trying to, to become a better space nerd, so I've been reading some science fiction, and I, I read Arthur C. Clarke's Rama, and it reminded me of that, and I was like, "Well, that didn't end very well for for them." But uh, but it, it's not. It, it does not seem to be this interstellar spaceship for an alien species. And there was, of. I'll tell you one one spoiler of Star Wars that I'll give away is there was nothing related to any sort of odd asteroid, uh, you know, because that would make sense if there was, this were some kind of odd promotional vehicle, right? Yeah, <laughs> for the movie. But uh, what no, timing? it's not. <laughs> yeah, ex- ex- see, exactly. This, th- these things happen for a reason. I mean, when you talk about you know George Lucas marketing these films, it, it makes sense. Uh, anyway, um, all right. So is this just like a? Is, so as this tumbles through the solar system, this news story will tumble through our lives and then just go back out afterwards. Uh, no, I mean, so some of the um, the planetary science researchers and, and astronomers that I that I talk to, I mean, th- I mean, this is this is super interesting. I mean, this is the first interstellar thing, you know, to grace our solar system. I mean, this is, this is pretty magical. Um, I mean, and it'll be around till about 20, I'm looking at trajectories here, about 2018, 2019, we'll be able to see it. Um, so, I mean, it's, it's, it's a pretty, pretty interesting scientific finding. And I'm, I'm, I'm curious to see what, what astronomers think of it. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Um, how about this? AI found an alien solar system with as many planets as our own. This was on Thursday. NASA announced the highly anticipated results of its partnership with Google to apply machine learning to data returned from Kepler, their space telescope. According to NASA, Google's machine learning algorithms found an eighth exoplanet in an extrasolar system known as Kepler-90, which means that our, only, our own solar system is now tied for the most known planets orbiting a single star. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Kepler is um, Kepler's one of my new favorite um, uh, missions that keeps giving us some really, really cool data about our place in the universe. Kepler's not like a normal telescope, where a normal telescope will look at this patch of sky, see what it can find, and then pinpoints you know little pieces in the sky. What Kepler does, um, it, it uses this method called um, transiting. Um, and basically, Kepler will focus its uh, telescopic mirror on one distant star, and it's not looking at the star. It's looking at it's what looking crosses, at everything around it. At, no, no, it's looking at the star and it's watching the light of the star dim. 
Oh, because so that something means if something crosses the path in between the telescope and the star, there's something there. So astronomers can look and they see these little dips, um, and depending on how much uh, of the light it blocks out, they're able to figure out what the size of it is, where it is in relation to the star, and we've discovered like. I think it made a discovery of like 1,200 earlier this year, of 1,200 of these exoplanets, planets outside our solar system. Well, right, the, now that's... I'm oh, sorry, go on. Oh, I was going to say, the, 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 the Google thing um, is basically, there's these little itty-bitty dips um, that they're really difficult to see if they're just blips um, or if they're actual exoplanets. Um, and and the, the AI was able to go through all this data and, and come up with, with all these different... Uh, Exoplanet findings, uh, which is cool. So that's exactly what I was going to ask you because I honestly like while it's cool that we can identify these exoplanets from a telescope, I think it's cooler that you just see that you see it dim and you're mm-hmm. like, oh, that's a planet. We can figure out exactly where it is and how big it is and what it might look like just by how this how the other thing that we were looking at dimmed ever so slightly. Yeah, no, that's why that's why it's it's like one of my my favorite missions. It's it's like when I heard about it, I'm like, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> you know, that's the yeah, best no, it way does, to find really. it. You know, so I. I I love Kepler. Kepler's great. And Kepler is just like a stepping stone. I believe next year, it may have gotten delayed, but they're going to be um, launching another one that'll look at a much wider field than Kepler. It's called uh, TESS, which stands for the Transiting Exoplanet Survey Satellite. Um, uh, and they expect to find like exponentially more exoplanets once TESS is in operation. So that's really that's cool. That's crazy. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty. Yeah, that some someone had a brainwave, and they said instead of looking for planets directly, why don't we wait for the planets to come to us? Exactly. Now, Since and, the and first, there's some caveats oh, with that. You know, if if the planet's not within the line of sight or on that same plane that we're looking at, then we'll never see it. You know, if you're what looking if it's like at, a cloud or just like a gas? Bubble exactly. Or so something. I mean, it's just one one tool in in um, astronomers' playbook to find stuff, and then and they can do this with ground-based satellites too. Obviously, it's much clearer with space-based satellites um and then once you find it you you can you can um pinpoint where it is you can start using uh radio telescopes and infrared telescopes to try to actually see what what it is what it's made out of you can kind of take a guess depending on the size and distance from the star of what the atmosphere is made of but uh there's some there's some pretty interesting findings we found kepler's been responsible for thousands of these and about a dozen of them are what they call Goldilocks planets, which are in the zone of habitability, so not too hot, not too cold, just right for liquid water and possibly uh, uh, aliens. Yes, but not us, as we haven't been able to achieve achieve light speed or exactly. anything that we need to get there. Yeah, no, we would not be able to get to any of these. Yeah. So. Since the exo, the first exoplanet was discovered by Kepler in 1992, a total of 3,720 exoplanets have been documented by astronomers in 2,787 solar systems. Of these solar systems, however, only 623 are known to host more than one planet. Interesting. Pretty wild, right? It's like that, I, that is really. Oh. I mean, that, and that's just like another, like uh, you know, you you spend so much time in in talking about space, realizing how how small and insignificant we are, and then you have another one of these massive brain waves where you realize it's orders less than we ever thought. So, it's yeah, that's pretty cool. Uh, let's see. Um, we talked about the moon. Um, we might have. Uh, we might have honestly uh no never mind um you have you have this article 
who owns the moon on WMFE.org and 90.7 NPR's Orlando's best NPR. <laughs> that was good. That was good. Thank you. Thank you. If you want to listen to fresh air, it's on every night from 7 to 8 p.m. on WMFE. That's actually right. Except That's for right. Fridays. That's when Except we have this Fridays. American life. So ah, Wonderful. So, Brandon, <laughs> Brandon, Brandon who, who owns the moon? Why don't you tell us? Uh, everyone and no one, basically. Like um, so there, there's this, um, there's this fella that lives, uh, he's based out of Cape Canaveral. He runs this company called Moon Express. And I interviewed him you for mean Planet for this. Express. Is that is that uh, <laughs> no Moon? Is moon it, what's his face? No. Uh, <laughs> now you you see here, young whippersnapper. Oh. Wow, you went straight to Bernie. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I got to work on that. I've been using the Bernie card more than uh, uh, what's his face. I can't remember his name. Why can't I remember his name? Fry and it's let's see. There's Fry the professor. The, the, the professor what though? What's his name? Professor. Farnsworth, Hubert Farnsworth. There we go. Anyway, uh, so Professor Farnsworth lives. Wait, on the did you moon. say Hubert Farnsworth? That's his clone. No, Hubert. Yeah, that's his clone. Who is what? No, that's the clone. Remember the little kid? Uh, then who is he? No, I thought it was uh, who? What's his first name then? I don't recall. There's only like two episodes where they say his first name. Okay. It is no. It is. It is a. Uh, it is. It's either Hubert or Cubert. No. It's uh, sorry. Cubert is the clone. Hubert is the real guy because Hubert Farnsworth invented television. Ah, that's why they chose his name. And there's anyway. Warren Strom. And the yes. Anyway, uh, moving on. Um, so so who owns? So the moon is owned by everyone and no one. Is there like a first come first serve? Uh, you know, if Russia gets there and they plant a flag, does that actually mean anything, or can we just take it out? Yeah, so it, 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 you got to go back to this document. It's the national or the the um, outer space treaty signed in like the late fifties, early sixties. It's a handful of of um, countries have signed it, but basically, it means there is no sovereignty in space, and you know, um, it's but for isn't, everyone. But that treaty? Sorry, I sorry, go on. Oh, what were we going to ask? Well, I was Fry- going to say, doesn't that treaty? That treaty sounds nice, but I feel like it only works until it doesn't. Until Russia or some other country goes exactly. up there and plants a flag and says, <laughs> "Ah, you know, screw you guys." Exactly. Um, and so there's there's been a host of different proposed changes to the Outer Space Treaty. Um, those have never happened, but it's, I mean, it's a UN treaty, so it's like right. who's going to enforce it? But isn't um, there, uh, like you said, everyone and no one? Isn't everyone there? And no one. A similar treaty to protect the Arctic, and that's also being eaten away by Russia and the U.S.? Yep, it's exactly yeah. it. So, all right. Don't hold your breath for that one holding up. But the, uh, the, there is so, – so Google um, has this thing called the X Prize. Um, it's basically to, to you know push these private companies to do stuff uh, that's really cool. Um, and they have the Lunar X Prize, and it's like $20 million. Uh, first private company to land on the moon gets 15 mil. Um, so there's, I think there's like five or six companies that are, that are still in it. They're in the last phase of the contest, but one of the, um, people competing for it is this guy, Bob Richards. Um, and he runs Moon Express and he couldn't get approval to put a commercial lander on the moon because nobody's done that before. There's no, Mm. um, there's no law. So he asked for there to be a regulation or regulatory committee to tell, give him permission. Um, so basically, the FAA came out and said, "Okay, we'll be the regulating body 
um, and gave him permission <laughs> to go to the moon. So that is – they're making those steps to say, okay, you can put this lander. Now, what happens with stuff that he brings back? Who knows? They don't uh, – He might have to ship it to customs first. You, everything actually does have to go through customs. And the, the Apollo astronauts went through customs. Did you know that when they came back? They had to go that through customs. Sense. Yeah. But, um, but yeah. So, did, so, they, so did, they, a, did they confiscate anything from the Apollo crew? Not oh, that I'm aware of. <laughs> <laughs> so I think they were rubber stamped through, uh, uh, honestly. So. I, I, would, I would hope so. <laughs> what, if, what if Russia went to the moon and they said, you know, we can't find a U.S. flag on here? What happened? I mean, that, that's... Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. That, that's... That's a good question. Um, I mean, the conspiracy theory that we haven't ever been to the moon, I feel like, dwindles every day that we see more news like this. Uh-huh. I just, I don't, I don't know. Like, do you have to, is it going to, the, the, those conspiracy theorists, is it going to take someone, like, Skyping them from the moon, and they're, like, turning around, oh, I'm really here! I don't think you're going to turn those people around at all, uh, so <laughs> it's, it's not, yeah, even, that's true. not even worth uh, arguing. That's true. Um, but then I assume uh, that once somebody tries to assert ownership of the moon, it's going to be a land grab and then possibly more political nightmares. And uh... Yeah, and then there's, there's also these other groups that are trying to preserve the historical foundation of certain places on the moon. Like, uh, you know, if we find this... If we find that the moon's got platinum in it and this private company wants to mine platinum out of it, but, you know, it's... It's where the Apollo 11 um, lander is. You know, is there anything that protects right. that site from them mining it for resources, or you know, and there isn't. Um, so there's companies but that would are. Would you care? I mean, I'm sorry. You would care on paper, but like, you wouldn't notice. You wouldn't notice in real life if that's that's what was going on. Yeah, I mean, there's a flag there and part of the lunar lander, but... Uh. <laughs> or so you think it could have been filmed on a soundstage in Hollywood. You don't know that, Brendan. You really don't. So, uh, no, I, I, I shouldn't. Uh, <laughs> that's like talking to, talking to you about moon conspiracy theories is like, one, is like, well, in my book, it's like one step away from talking to Buzz Aldrin about moon conspiracy theories and getting punched in the face. Right. So, that's, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, let's see. Uh, Here's another, here's another article by you. Chasing Triton, a night on NASA's Sophia Aerial Observatory. Yeah, that was probably the coolest assignment of my career. Um, Tell us about it. So Sophia is this modified giant jumbo jet um, that uh, they've kind of tore everything out inside it. Uh, they attached a telescope to it and cut a hole in the side of it. Um, and they fly this plane up to about 42,000 feet right above the water vapor line so they can make um, really great observations of, uh, of stars. So we were actually, wow. yeah, we were actually looking at um, what's called an occultation, which is pretty similar to what Kepler does. Um, we, the, I say we, I was there for the ride. I didn't do anything. Um, <laughs> but the astronomers basically pointed uh, this telescope at the, uh, at Neptune, and they were waiting for Triton to pass in front of it because they wanted to measure what Triton's atmosphere is made out of. So these instruments sure. on the telescope, once it passed through, and what what kind of light it filtered through the atmosphere, they'd be able to to, to make some observations of it. So so that that's basically uh, what I was doing there was standing around while they were doing all sorts of cool astronomy. But it, it's really neat. It's it's cool. We were on a I think it was about a nine hour trip um, through the Bermuda Triangle. Um, just north and, and south and north and south. No, I came back. I was actually, I didn't know what the flight path was until I got there and I almost left. 
but uh, <laughs> well, we um, we start off by going to the Bermuda Triangle. No, nope. <laughs> it's like ah, I'm out of here, <laughs> and then we end up in space. Well, you know what? That actually that itinerary makes sense, Brendan. Like we keep, you know, you just have to fly through the triangle, and then magically you're in the middle of space. It's a wormhole, basically, right? Exactly, it's a wormhole. Yeah. So, uh, no, this is actually really cool. So this is not the plane that uh, makes you weightless. No, no, uh-uh. I've still been, been trying to get on that thing. I have not. No, but this this okay. is this is just as cool, I think. Yeah, almost. So. Well, I mean, it's you know, it's 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 a, it's a much better eye candy. Yes, yes. So, yeah. And they were like, it was like I was in NASA first class. So they were like reclining seats, and did they give you drinks? Uh, there was coffee. That was about it. Coffee. I had okay. to bring my own food, so I had like a sandwich up there. Oh, um, you didn't bring your astronaut ice cream? I did not. No, oh. no. Darn. But uh, but See, because that been because really you were so high funny. up. Um, it was really dry, so they make you drink a lot of water. Um, or else when okay. you when you come back down, then you get what feels like a hangover. Um, so my the the PAO who was there, um, the public affairs officer who was watching the media that were there, she kept checking on us to see how many times we went to the bathroom. So she's like, "You need to pee once an hour. If you don't pee once an hour, <laughs> you're not drinking enough." Um, so I had to make how, sure how I drank. Many, how long was the flight? It was nine hours. Jeez. Yeah. So. But, uh, and, and you had to bring your own food. And no I had to bring flight meal. I had a sandwich and like some combos. So huh. um, there you go. How about yeah. tang? No tang. <laughs> no tang. Uh, no tang. I guess that, I should have been still like, drink that, or is that uh, too sugary? I don't, you know that's a good question. I don't know. I, I don't think they do. Um, I would. Be, I would. I wouldn't think they do either because you know that's something yeah. from the last century. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, all right. But yeah, that was that cool. was a really fun, a really really fun trip. And in um, on on our website, um, I do um, I, I did a podcast episode from the flight deck. Um, so I actually interviewed the um, one of the flight planners, uh, and we talked about everything. Um, so it was pretty cool. It was, it was oh really? Neat. Where can yeah. we uh, where can we get that? So that's that's the Are We There Yet podcast. Uh, so wherever do you have you a link get, to the episode. Uh, yeah, it's um, uh, wmfe.org slash are we there yet? It's one of the more recent episodes, um, so you should be able to see it. Now, um, how did you, what kind of deal did you have to do with MFE so they would put ads or prom, uh, promotions for your podcast on their website? Well, uh, the podcast is a production of WMFE. Ah. Yeah, so. Okay. Yeah, I do the podcast as a staff member. Okay. <laughs> so. And then, yeah, so that may, that's how it happens. Yes. That makes sense. Um, okay. Well, uh, then go to uh, WMFE.org and search for, and, and we'll click on the giant Are We There Yet image, but uh, search for what exactly? Uh, just search for uh, for uh, Sophia, which is S-O-F-I-A, um, which I don't, I'm not sure what it stands for. It's a NASA acronym for something, but I don't remember. A NASA a NASAonym. <sighs> yes. No. A na- an acronym. Uh, yes. Na- uh, it's not. Yeah. Anyway. Um. Okay. Well, that's good. Uh. How about how about this? Uh. From tape drives to memory orbs, the data formats of Star Wars suck. <laughs> now, what kind of data formats do they use I would say in suck. space? They're inconsistent. <laughs> well. They're, in, they're heavily inconsistent. So, Brendan, in real space, what kind of disk drives do they have? What kind of data formats do the real astronauts use? Oh, jeez. I have no idea. I've never asked that question. Can you just bring up, like, a thumb drive and plug it in? I would so, imagine uh, spinning a disk hard drive. Or... 
so the one thing, like the uh, on the Sophia mission, they actually had like a computer officer um, there um, to running all these equipment, and she she was an officer um, on the flight deck who basically handled the IT of the plane, and mm-hmm. um, they had uh, you couldn't use a thumb drive that you brought up with you um, that makes to pull data. She had clean drives and stuff like that, so you had to like go to her and. Uh, but I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, but, but they were still very standard uh, yeah. parts. They were just made. They were yeah. just assured that they wouldn't put a virus on their stuff. Yeah, basically. and they probably they had like you know they were branded and all that fun stuff too. But uh, oh, that's yeah. cool. So, but yeah, that, that, that was um, yeah. I'd never really asked that question. Um, okay, well, you should ask whoever directed Rogue One because they have like this orb. They have what looks well, like a giant no, real hard one. drive. Rogue One only Sorry? has that large drive. Oh, okay. The orb is from like episode two. Oh, what? Or three? Yeah. But the well, that's different because that was the seventies. They didn't know what they were doing. That wasn't the seventies. That was the like. This early... epi- oh, episode two. I'm sorry. I thought you meant episode five. You're right. That's even okay. Episode two is horrible. Um, yeah. Well, anyway, all the new century Star Wars disc formats are highly inconsistent. You've got what looks like a giant hard drive. You've got well, an orb. You've got uh, a flash drive. Hold on. Episode and four. You've you got. got a card. And you have a card, you have a mini disc, uh, and but yet all of these people keep going to different bases where they're all able to read different data formats somehow. Well, maybe they've got one of those uh, little I/O panels on their computers, like I do. That's well. This article says SD, that e- micro SD, USB. Well. There's well, there's a couple of things. Uh, they Flash. said that the Rebel Alliance would have to carry around a ton of extra equipment every time they go anywhere to be able to convert their stuff into whatever stuff that the the, the people used wherever they are. I know that sounds pretty vague, but that's only uh, potentially true. It's only potentially okay. Um, I, I mean, it's any of this is potentially true. This is all hypothetical. Uh, in Episode Four, which is supposed to immediately chronologically follow the events of Rogue One, an Imperial officer refers to the stolen information. Remember, these were supposed to be plans for the Death Star, as data tapes. But that's in Episode Four in 1977. It makes sense. Data tapes were a thing. Um, however, why did they not back it up? Why do they have one hard copy for the plans of this thing that get, that manages to get stolen? Well, it wasn't that they were stolen in, in those regards. It was stolen as in a secret information that was stolen. Yeah, but why couldn't they? Why couldn't they just back it up? That Go to the radio microphone in the right hand corner and type in issue. promo code. No. <laughs> the what issue was, the was issue? that it was secret data that was stolen, as in it wasn't meant for to, to be known. But they right, stole... so it wasn't. Was it even encrypted? I don't even think it was encrypted. No. No. And it wasn't duplicated. So the duplicated thing is a non-issue, though. Why? Because that's that's not the issue. And then in Rogue One, why did why did Ray have it, to climb it, up to the top was, of that thing to transmit the stuff? It was not Ray. Oh, all right. Never mind. I'm gonna. I'm, then you know what? I'm out of my element for this story. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, let's see. Uh, one last story for the evening is uh, NASA wants to probe deeper. Into Uranus. Giggity. Yeah. Uh, up until now, NASA has never paid too much attention to Uranus, or Uranus, as it's supposed to be pronounced. But now the space industry uh, agency wants to take a good long gaze. 
And one of the things it might be investigating is all that gas. A NASA group outlined four possible missions to the ice giants Uranus and Neptune. These missions include three orbiters and a possible flyby of Uranus. The planned probes would take off in the 2030s, according to the new scientist. What do you know about this, Brendan? I don't know too much about this, um, just because there are tons and tons of um, proposals that are submitted to NASA. They have, like, three different fund levels, and this is part of their New Frontiers fund level, uh, which Kepler was a part of. Um, Mm. So it's like a million... I'm sorry, like less than a billion dollars or something for for the mission. Um, So there's so many that come in that I, I can't pay attention to all of them, but this... This one was definitely like a gift to journalists here to right, see right. who could I mean, write I'm the sure. best headline. <laughs> exactly. Has Uranus uh, been probed? But, yeah. I mean, but I mean, it, it, it's a good point. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a good point in in the uh, the new scientist that um, you know there really hasn't been that much um, spent into um, the the planets that are farthest out in our solar system. I mean, Pluto received quite a bit of of um, scientific attention. attention with with New Horizon and flyby there. Uh, that it looks like you know Uranus and Neptune, and they're they're due. We we really haven't explored them too much, and uh, there's there's quite a bit we can learn about them. So, absolutely, absolutely, the world is your oyster, and it's a headline that writes itself. So, and it's a headline that writes itself. <laughs> I can only imagine. I don't want to type uh, probing into Uranus into Google, but I'm sure that. You know, that's uh, not a good thing. To, not a good search query. No. <laughs> <laughs> not definitely not safe for work. No. Um, no. But just remember that, you know, no matter where you go, there's a much brighter world outside. Butterfly in the sky. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> Take a look. It's in a book of reading rainbow. All right. Ah, all right. That's it. Um... <laughs> Anyway, I think uh, I think that's all the time we've got for this week's poll request. Uh, Christian, would you approve? Uh, absolutely. Brendan, would you approve of this week's poll request? Oh, it's a great show. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's been our pleasure. Come back anytime. Oh, please. How about you, our wonderful studio audience? Yes. Been rather silent this evening. Well, then, let's all hit merge. And we'll see you in two weeks because of Christmas. Right here on Polarquest. This has been a Pneumonium production. The views and opinions expressed on Polarquest do not necessarily reflect those of Pneumonium LLC or its subsidiaries. This week's theme music provided by Wolfpack. Visit them at VULFPECK.com.